Welcome to the ASHP official podcast, your guide to issues related to medication use, public health, and the profession of pharmacy. Thank you for joining us for the Pharmacy Leadership Podcast Series, digging into specialty pharmacy accreditation. Our discussion for this podcast series focuses on leadership topics within pharmacy practice, including the business of pharmacy, development of leadership skills, career transitions, and more. My name is Rishabh Shah, and I'm the Associate Pharmacy Director at University of Kentucky Specialty Pharmacy and Infusion Services. And I will be your host and one of the panelists for today's episode. With me today are Lisa Kamor, Accreditation and Residency Coordinator at University of Illinois Chicago Hospitals and Health Systems, Christine Crawford, Specialty Pharmacy Manager at Virginia Mason Franciscan Health, Alicia Verd, Clinical Pharmacist Supervisor, at Oshner Specialty Pharmacy and Rebecca Young, Program Director for Quality and Performance Improvement at Venerable Specialty Pharmacy. Thanks for joining us today, Lisa, Christine, Alicia, and Rebecca. So let's get started talking about today's topic, digging into specialty pharmacy accreditation. And our focus today is going to be talking about our panelists' journey at their specialty pharmacy and how they maintain and meet the compliance standards. So tell me about your accreditation journey and the practice model at your specialty pharmacy. And we'll start with Christine. Hi, Rashad. Thanks for having us on the podcast today. At Virginia Mason, when we first started our specialty pharmacy program in late 2017, we started our program as a completely new service line. So we built the facility, the team systems, all of it was new and from scratch for us. We did engage a consulting firm when we built the program, and we built it with accreditation in mind. So we were thinking right from the beginning that accreditation was probably going to be a central driver for operations, and we structured everything that we did and everything that we were building around accreditation as an endpoint and and a goal for us in the future. We started pursuing accreditation almost immediately, and our first full accreditation with URAC was achieved in May of 2019. We followed that with a secondary accreditation with ACHC in November of 2019. That's very impressive, Christine. Getting accreditations in one year always works. How about you, Lisa? Yeah, hi. Thanks, Rashab. So as Rashab said, my name is Lisa Kumar, and I'm from the University of Illinois Chicago Specialty Pharmacy. We're a duly accredited specialty pharmacy with URAC and ACHC. So our pharmacy started dispensing specialty prescriptions back in 2012. And at that time, we set up a separate service line for our specialty pharmacy services. By 2014, we were growing and we realized the need for accreditation. So that's when I was hired to work with our director on accreditation efforts. And I also worked as a clinical pharmacist in our specialty pharmacy call center at the time. So like most organizations, we pursued URAC first. We started with a simple gap analysis. So we're actually fortunate to work closely with our UIC College of Pharmacy. So the majority of that gap analysis was completed by our fourth year APE students on rotations with us. We made spreadsheets, diagrams, graphics to demonstrate our progress to leadership and outline our need for resources. So our Gap analysis identified the major projects that we needed for accreditation that we were lacking. So examples included, you know, a call center, welcome packet, you know, really big things like that. Most of the accreditation work was completed by my director and myself. We wrote the policies, developed new workflow diagrams and documents, and we conducted the staff training. So we successfully achieved URAC accreditation fall of 2015. The second accreditation we pursued was ACHC, just like Christine. And we achieved that actually the following year in December of 2016. 
this accreditation required significantly less prep time due to its similarity to URAC. ACHC requires all of its documentation during the on-site visit, whereas URAC reviewed all of our documentation a couple months prior. Thanks, Lisa. That's very, very impressive. Rebecca, how about you at Vanderbilt Specialty Pharmacy? Hi, yeah. Thanks, Rashab. I was originally hired as the embedded pharmacist for one of our outpatient rheumatology clinics, so I kind of had a different probably journey than some people did. Our specialty pharmacy program was just getting established at that time. So when I started, we were not an accredited specialty pharmacy, but we were in the application process with URAC. We received our initial specialty pharmacy accreditation with them in September of 2013. And we pursued URAC specialty pharmacy accreditation to highlight our clinical capabilities, quality-driven practices, and patient-centered focus. Having URAC specialty pharmacy accreditation allowed us to pursue and expand our service capabilities to our patients by expanding our ability to partner with payers and manufacturers. Fast forward several years, and as our practice has continued to grow, certain partnerships began requesting dual accreditation. So then we also obtained ACHC specialty pharmacy accreditation. More recently, our pharmacy has received designation as a center of excellence in rare disease by URAC. And we're very excited about receiving this designation as it highlights the unique relationships and capabilities our practitioners foster with these patients, providers, and manufacturers. Thanks, Rebecca. I, I can very well echo with everything that you and Lisa mentioned. Um, I have a very similar story at University of Kentucky Specialty Pharmacy. Our specialty pharmacy started its discussion about the need to manage some patients in different specialty areas sometime in 2014. And we initially started with cystic fibrosis, some solid organ tumors, hepatitis C, and rheumatoid arthritis. It was very interesting as we were learning at that time that we could not have access to some of the drugs and like, you know, some of the payers will not allow us to fill medications for our patients. And that is what prompted us to initiate the discussion to get accreditation and gain that credibility amongst the few manufacturers and payers as we were expanding our services. So as you guys mentioned, we also went with URAC and we received our certification in 2015 for a specialty pharmacy and followed by ACHC in 2017. The need for ACHC for being a dually accredited specialty pharmacy at UK was the reason because we, one of the peers came to us with some of the side of care issues that we were experiencing and that was the reason why we went. And now we have both URAC and ACHC accreditation for specialty pharmacy and recently we also got for infusion pharmacy and our freestanding infusion center as well. Like Becky, I, we recently got Urex rare disease designation as well, and then distinction in oncology. So pretty much our commitment that we have just provided support and services to all our patients, prescribed specialty medications, regardless if we dispense a medication or not. And this accreditation really have been showing us the value that we uh, demonstrate by providing the quality care. So it's very interesting that we do have all the similar trajectory and the path on how our specialty pharmacy started. Alicia, how about you at Ashna? Thanks, Rashab. So my organization, Ashner Specialty Pharmacy, affiliated with Ashner Health in New Orleans, when I joined in 2016, we were in the application process with URAC. Our program was initially designed based on URAC standards to ensure seamless transition upon accreditation and to give us that ability to obtain payer contracts and to access LDDs. We did use an internal consultant 
for our policies and procedures, as well as an external consultant for our building requirements. So our policies and procedures were built before dispensing in our new location. We did become accredited in December of 2016, with JCO following soon after in 2017. And we did decide to pursue JCO accreditation because of their high standards for patient care and to also be consistent with our health system. Awesome. I'm very impressed with our group because there's like a lot of experience in some specialty pharmacies that started like in early 2010s and then some who have been recently established. So that brings me to the next question. And the question is basically, how did you gain support from the C-suite or the leadership to pursue this accreditations and how it evolved with your specialty pharmacy? And Rebecca, we'll start with you. Sure, Rashad. I feel we were extremely fortunate um, that from the beginning, our leadership embraced the vision and goals of our program. Our C-suite understood the need for accreditation in order to be recognized as a competitor in the specialty pharmacy space. We have monthly steering committee meetings that consist of representatives from our C-suite team, as well as finance and operations within the specialty pharmacy. And this has been a tremendous help for our team to clear any kind of quote-unquote red tape that may be preventing our team from moving forward with any initiatives. As we continue to grow and expand our clinical capabilities, our clinical partners became a big advocating voice for us as well. Many of our specialty pharmacies programs practices have also fostered additional service offerings by non-specialty ambulatory pharmacy services, leading to patients having increased access to personalized care. We have a similar aspect at University of Kentucky to our C-suite has always been very supportive of all the pharmacy needs. When we basically started with the specialty pharmacy, um, we didn't realize that we met our business model within six months and the team was struggling with it. So uh, we reached out, we put a proposal to our business team about growing our specialty pharmacy and what the potential is. And the C-suite has always been very helpful. They approved 20 FTEs for us to begin with and potentially expand the services. They realized the need for the dual accreditation as well as we were growing our services to meet the side of care issues and being available for our patients. But the beauty is that like UK specialty pharmacy or specialty pharmacies within health systems have done a significant work because of the seamless integration with the EMR and the quality care that we provide to our patients and being also having a presence in this evolving industry. The support that we have got today, we have moved to a freestanding specialty pharmacy on an offsite location and occupy 30,000 square feet. And this wouldn't have happened if the executive leadership didn't see the potential in us. They have not only supported with the specialty needs, but like, you know, as we were growing, it's very funny that we came up with the idea of infusion early in the end as well, and then create uh, the non-specialty ambulatory clinics support staff as well, because they just saw the value and the work that we were doing for our patients. So it's, it's very, very impressive. I echo with you, Rebecca. Thank you. Christine, your institution started specialty pharmacy fairly recently. So how did that conversation with your executive leadership go and how did they support your pharmacy? Well, that's a great question, Rashad. Because we built our pharmacy specifically to be a specialty pharmacy, accreditation um, really was a major foundational requirement for us. So 
Because of that, it was built into the pro forma for our specialty pharmacy program. So we knew from the beginning that this was going to be a required element, and it was part of the buy-in from our leadership and C-suite. So the expectation was going in that this was going to be an expected expense for us and that there were going to be specific resources that we would need along the way to help ourselves be successful. They were very supportive of us, and it really helped us that we had a lot of wonderful other organizations who had led the way before us and kind of paved that path for best practices and have shown really what can be possible with specialty pharmacy and a health system if you have that leadership support and you have that structure and you go through that accreditation process. So I'm really appreciative of all the health systems that had implemented a specialty program before we did. As we've grown, they've continued to be supportive of us and have seen the potential that our team has and have also started to help us allocate more resources toward the maintenance and compliance piece of accreditation. That's awesome. That's amazing. It always helps when there's a support from the executive leadership to meet all the goals and vision for our program. Alicia, what's the relationship at Ashner with your C-suite? Yeah, so... Similar to Christine, you know, starting from scratch, we presented our research on other health system specialty pharmacies um, to our C-suite and kind of, you know, highlighted that URAC was mandatory and the foundation of our business model and the key factor for our success in obtaining payer contracts and LDD access and also to ensure our quality patient care services. So we continue to reiterate that importance of accreditation when we review financials and, you know, expanding our patient care services with the C-suite, and they continue to be supportive, which we're very fortunate for. That's great to hear. All right, so now I'm going to switch gears a little bit, and knowing that we all have received accreditations, not one but two, and have to keep up with the standards and ongoing compliance and practice, to be ready for the reaccreditation or the site visit in the next three years. I want to know from you all, how do you all monitor the ongoing compliance to keep up all these requirements that uh, these different accrediting bodies are asking the specialty pharmacies to meet? Lisa, we can start with you this time. Okay, thanks, Rashad. This is such a great question, and it's an area I'm constantly trying to improve. So when I hear compliance, the areas that I spend the most time on are clinical program and our HR requirements. There's so many different areas I could focus on here. I just think these areas actually have the most severe ramifications if noncompliance is discovered by an auditor. So I'm going to focus on those when we talk today. So starting with the clinical program. We need to ensure our team is compliant with our documentation requirements. So the best way to do this is frequent audits, keyword being frequent. And that's something I'm continually trying to improve. So I work with our clinical coordinator as well as our student interns and our rotational students to run quarterly audits from Epic. I'm looking that all of our treatment initiations have corresponding notes, all of our interventions and monthly clinical assessments are appropriately documented, and our completion notes are entered in a timely manner. I'm working with our clinical coordinator right now to develop our clinical outcomes audit. So based on our audit results, myself as well as the clinical coordinator would conduct additional staff training. So the second area I mentioned was HR requirements. So we all know that accreditation bodies spend quite a bit of time reviewing our personnel files. So I spend quite a bit of time working with our HR department to ensure all of our new hires have all required documentation and that all current employees complete required annual trainings. 
So I developed an audit tool that I complete when a new employee is onboarded, as well as annually after our required trainings are due. This way, I can identify issues, hopefully, before they truly become issues. I make it a point to work with our HR department to ensure primary source verification is being completed according to our policies and procedures. So basically here, my advice is to get involved with your HR department in regards to file compliance early on, if you haven't already, so you don't run into surprises while preparing for your validation visits from your accreditation organizations. That is very detailed, Lisa. I'm very impressed. I'm very certain this practice keeps your institution, especially pharmacy, always ready if the reviewer had to come to your site. Very impressive. Alicia, how about you at Ashna? Yes. So like Lisa, monitoring for compliance is, you know, an area that deserves attention and a lot of focus. And, you know, we're constantly looking to update. So right now we're currently advocating to have dedicated positions to help us continue to monitor for compliance in accordance with your act changes. We currently rely on an external consultant to help us set up a robust monitoring program that includes HR requirements upon hiring and completing our own PSV, ensuring job descriptions match job duties, completing annual shipping studies with the presentation to our quality committee, patient management compliance, chart audits with feedback to our team, and also a robust onboarding experience with documentation and also review of clinical interventions by our senior clinical leader. Awesome. We have our consultants at times uh, help us with the compliance check as well. But for the most part, we have come up with the similar processes that Lisa was talking about at UK as well. But that's very impressive to hear. Thanks, Alicia. Rebecca, at Vanderbilt, you must have gone through this process several times since you started your specialty pharmacy early on. How have you guys been monitoring compliance fees? Yeah, Rashad, I'll echo what Lisa and Alicia said. There are so many facets of monitoring ongoing compliance that require participation of many other areas and individuals. Like I said previously, this is solely my job. I know a lot of other institutions aren't um, fortunate enough to have somebody just dedicated solely to this job, but I run point on all of this stuff, but it takes involvement from all of our specialty pharmacy team and some other departments to keep us compliant. I feel that I have maybe a different management style than some of the others in my position since I did start in our specialty pharmacy and it's very early stages in a clinical type capacity. So I learned the business from the ground up, per se. I think that helped me in several ways. One, I knew the way things worked at the patient provider level. So when I needed to introduce, say, a new requirement or a new standard or something, we had a good understanding of the impact and where and how we could most efficiently and seamlessly integrate changes into that workflow. Another advantage of having this time is that we got to develop and foster relationships with other areas. I know you guys come from big institutions, and so that means there's a lot of other people in different areas involved, such as HR or IT, telecommunications, facility management, emergency preparedness, multiple other areas that are required to assist us with maintaining our compliance within our accreditation standards. These relationships are very important, especially since changes or issues with non-pharmacy areas can impact us. So when those other areas know, hey, 
you know, especially pharmacy needs to know this, that's important because then I don't have to kind of think about that. I have some advocates on other teams that say, hey, we need to maybe tell specialty pharmacy about this. As far as like the day-to-day process for monitoring ongoing compliance, I've got a lot of checklists and a lot of recurring reminders set up. It's a very intense process for us, as it is for most other institutions. I'm very glad that you mentioned about the different departments or the internal stakeholders that we have to like discuss our accreditation measures with or like get in touch with them to meet our needs. It's very important and it's very nice that we have such a huge team at our institutions to help us with. The internal stakeholders absolutely help with the compliance because the accreditation is not only just the pharmacy needs. I'm glad, Becky, that you mentioned about all these internal stakeholders, all the different departments that we have to develop relationships with or be able to work with. We at times forget that accreditation requirements or the standards set are not only just pharmacy or like talking to patients or the clinical staff, but then there's a lot of work that needs to be done with these different departments and making sure that the core operations is functioning fairly fine. And it is a task, a huge lift when we have to make sure that the compliance or the metrics that we have to measure outside pharmacy is also up to date. So I'm really happy that you touched based on that. So while you were talking about this, and since you've grown over several years, I do want to ask you guys, and Becky, we'll start with you, that if you have any dedicated personnel or a team or any new positions that you have created at your institution to monitor all these progresses, or if you even use a third-party consultants outside. Yeah, sure, Rasab. So for our original accreditation back in 2013, we did utilize a consultant, as we mentioned earlier. You know, we we all started small and we were all doing a lot of different things. So we did need that extra help in the beginning. Shortly after that, after we got our program off the ground and running, it became my job to maintain compliance in this area. About four years ago, I did have a technician that joined me on my team. And then within the last few months, we were able to hire a pharmacist to manage our REMS program, which is encompassed under my position as well. Nice. What about you, Kristen, at your pharmacy? Yeah, because our program is still in its infancy relative to some of the others we've heard from. This is an area that we're still actively evaluating. We haven't historically used dedicated personnel for accreditation compliance, but it is something that we're looking at, not only for accreditation, but also just as part of a larger quality improvement initiative. So current state, we have some individuals who have designated responsibilities, and then there's a lot of shared responsibility from the team in terms of daily operations and compliance with our ongoing requirements. As an example, we have hired a senior clinical pharmacist to work on clinical quality improvement, and we've tapped into some of our health system resources that were mentioned by the other panelists. That's awesome. I can very much attest from the fact that the growth that we have seen at UK, I'm sure you will be able to create several different positions as you keep growing. Recently, over the years, as we were growing and felt the need to meet the requirements, we have created a few positions at our pharmacy. Um, We created compliance coordinators in advance of pharmacy technicians, so they really help us with all these competencies and audits and day-to-day checking from the compliance piece if our pharmacists and the technicians are meeting their requirements. We have also created our HR team internally. Of course, the institution manages and oversees from the bigger scale, uh, but we do have our business team help with keeping up-to-date employee files, trainings, documents, and certifications that they require for every individual that the accreditation is asking for. 
And then at, at the end of the day, I mean, accreditation is a requirement for every individual at our health system. So we try to like review it monthly to quarterly and discuss that in our quality management committee as well for all the metrics that we are measuring and basically looking for different opportunities where we can like advance some career opportunities, but also have a dedicated time and persona for the accreditation requirements as well, now that we have several. So I'm sure, Christine, you'll have opportunities for you to hire more individuals as your pharmacy expands their services. Lisa, what about you? Like, what do you guys do at USC? Yeah, hi. So similar to Rebecca, I oversee accreditation compliance in my role as the accreditation coordinator and as head of the quality committee. I do have to say, Rebecca, I am jealous that you have a team, a technician, and then I believe you said a pharmacist. So that's really neat and somewhere I'm hoping to go one day. So similar to Rebecca, I think we followed kind of similar paths. So my position was developed in 2017 after attaining URAC in 2015 and ACHC in 2016. Prior to that, I was splitting my time between accreditation work and clinical work. So as our specialty pharmacy matured and accreditation requirements became more rigorous, the need was apparent to us that we needed to dedicate an FTE specifically to accreditation and quality maintenance and compliance. So I think a very similar path to Vanderbilt. And as Rebecca mentioned as well, I work really closely with the other coordinators on our team to maintain compliance. So that includes our call center coordinator, our clinical coordinator. They help me reinforce training and workflow changes that need to be identified based on our compliance findings. Beautiful. Thanks, Lisa. Alicia, what do you guys do at Ashna? It's relatively new as well. We did utilize consultants in the beginning when we first were accredited in 2016. We are actually in a reaccreditation year right now. So we do have consultants that we are utilizing again for the reaccreditation process. And this is something that we're definitely working on adding leadership positions for to dedicate the accreditation because it's such a robust need to keep compliant. I concur with you. We use consultants too when we initially started the accreditation process. We still continue using them as a compliance check, having few interactions in a year to make sure like we are not missing out, especially when the accreditation updates are out or new standards are being written. So it's always good to have a consulting team if there's not a dedicated staff. So I appreciate you all. Like this, this accreditation piece has absolutely helped us come up with unique different ways to create positions and dedicate a staff and team to accreditation piece. So that's all the time we have today, guys. I really want to thank and appreciate your presence today, Lisa, Christine, Alicia, and Rebecca, and talking about your journey and the accreditation process that begin at especially pharmacy. I'm sure the listeners are going to enjoy and learn quite a bit out of this. If you haven't before, I encourage you all to check out ASHP's online specialty pharmacy resources. You can find member-exclusive offerings such as the Specialty Pharmacy Resource Center, Specialty Pharmacy Best Practices Recorded Webinar Series, and the Specialty Pharmacy Outcomes Literature Library, and much more. Thank you again for joining us, and be sure to subscribe to the at ASHP Official podcast. Thank you for listening to ASHP Official, the voice of pharmacists advancing healthcare. Be sure to visit ashp.org forward slash podcast to discover more great episodes, access show notes, and download the episode transcript. If you loved the episode and want to hear more, be sure to subscribe, 
rate or leave a review. Join us next time on ASHB Official.